The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies. And fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Welcome, operatives, to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. Yay. How are you doing, Don? I'm here. How are you? I'm mostly intact tonight. <laughs> I think I have all my fingers and toes, and that's a good start. <laughs> Especially considering what we're going to talk about tonight, I might need all those fingers and toes later on. Tonight we're going to be talking about the question of whether dystopian literature like cyberpunk, for example, or even things like George Orwell's works, or perhaps even Star Trek, have actually been leading us towards dystopian futures, or even becoming a pattern for a future that we might all not like that much. So Don, what do you think on this topic? Do you think that science fiction is having a negative effect on our future? I mean, we always talk about how you know Star Trek is leading us towards a glorious tomorrow, but could the opposite be true? Uh, yeah, I think, because what ends up happening is, uh, we were talking about this on, like, I think, like, our first show, mm -hmm. that a lot of times when people come up with a science fiction setting, they deal only with the coarsest aspects, and a lot of the little fiddly bits get ignored. Right. And it's those fiddly bits, especially for, say, like, the cyberpunk idea, that I mm -hmm. think lead towards what end up becoming the big problems. I see. Can you be more specific? Well, it, it would be the idea that um, when, when you talk cyberpunk, one of the ideas that you had was the decline of governments and that right. corporations would come in and, and take over that role. Yeah, the rise of privatization. Mm -hmm. And then Other, otherwise known as a libertarian's wet dream. <laughs> well, and, and that's a good point because that's in theory what it looks like. And then the aspect that typically gets played up in cyberpunk settings is that you've got this like destitute but determined underclass and that's where everything happens and that's where all mm -hmm. the life is and the corporate guys are like the 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 dead heads who just do what they're told right yeah they're just corporate drones yeah and and what nobody realizes is when you look at those societies and you look at those like vibrant lively underclasses that bring back the rock and roll well, mm -hmm. they're doing it out of desperation. Well, yes, it's just like the um, African-Americans clung to certain forms of music during the 20th century as a way to develop their own culture because they felt they were excluded from the mainstream white American culture. Yeah, that, that's, that's, a, that's a good example. Um, and so black culture, as we see it, in a lot of ways is a reaction to their being the underclass, for better or for worse, because they pretty much are in the United States. I wish that wasn't true, but it is. And so as an end result, cyberpunk is pretty much doing the same thing, except it's everybody who's not a corporate citizen trying to put together a culture or basically trying to make the best of the situation. Is that what you mean? Yeah, that's a, and again, that's, that's a, a really succinct way of uh, putting it. Oh, thank you. Because, <laughs> yeah. It, it... Don't sound so surprised. <laughs> <laughs> no, you've said smart things before. 
once or twice. <laughs> yeah, okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for damning me with faint praise. <laughs> Wait, was that a shot? What? <laughs> uh. Good night, Don. Bye. <laughs> what happened to my mic? But anyway. <laughs> Don, I can't pick you up anymore. Apparently, I'm going to be doing this show solo tonight. <laughs> In any case, I think you're right. And I think that to take a slightly different tact, I think that privatization, which has become a popular government approach to dealing with deficits for the last two or three decades, has definitely led us down a road that perhaps we didn't really want to go down. Yeah. Um, here in Ontario, for example, sorry to get all political for a moment, but we privatized our, our electricity a couple, what, uh, I guess about a decade or so ago. We privatized our electric companies. And shortly after that, guess what? Our electric bills went through the roof because suddenly these privatized electrical companies wanted to make money. And it wasn't in their interest for poor people to have electricity until the government literally forced them to and start to regulate the costs that they were putting. And so things like that, for example, are examples of privatization not always working in our best interest. But bringing it back around, a lot of literature has traditionally portrayed privatization as a wonderful thing. And especially the actually wait, is that true? Has science fiction traditionally portrayed privatization as a wonderful thing? Because even cyberpunk is generally not a wonderful thing. In fact, actually it's the result of everyone being equally screwed <laughs> if you're not a corporate citizen. Well, it is and and um that was one of the things uh we talked about uh the audience wasn't here for that just before that one of the things thinking on the the whole privatization corporatization thing mm -hmm. that that's been bugging me for for at least a year mm -hmm. is there's an ad for um it's a hotel chain i don't remember which one okay and they talk about free wi-fi and connectivity and and the slogan is it's like you never have to leave the office good god yeah i i, I and and this is where i think the cyberpunk becoming a bad idea comes mm -hmm. in because historically the office has been shown to be a place of tears and misery. Yes. Like like going right into the 50s. Dad always hated going to work because the boss would yell at him because the Higgins account is late and he's he's like gets disheveled and rumpled when he comes home and that. Disheveled. Disheveled, there, not disheveled. There that would mean he's put in the wrong shelf. Well, that too. Sorry, English <laughs> teacher here. Damn you, English teachers. <laughs> I know, I know. We're... I sorry, I'm a grammar Nazi. I admit it. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. anyway, so yes, Dad would become highly disheveled. Well, I'd like to think that there was a time when Dad actually liked working for the corporation because the corporation treated him well, and everyone was a giant, one big happy family. You know, kind of like you know the Japanese model was traditionally portrayed. Mm -hmm. But eventually, as costs needed to be cut and quarterly reports needed to show profit. They started to have to cut back more and more, and eventually one person ended up doing the work of three. And we end up with true corporate wage slaves at that point. Yeah, and then I think when you see things like the, these hotel ads, mm -hmm. it's um, it's that idea of the, the corporatizing, the mentality of the workers. Mm -hmm. That you've got people who their job is their life, mm -hmm. which happens to most people. But right. they're trying to rebuild this corporate culture where, like you said, it it it's your family. Your your job is 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 your daimyo, and you're the brave, like 
samurai who will fight for the accounting department with all of your heart and soul. Because that's the kind of person they're hiring these days because that's the kind they want. Yeah, well, it's the kind they want. If if you look at stats, they're they're not typically getting it because a lot of like the younger people, it, it's not that they don't have the work ethic, but they don't get as attached to jobs. And I think it's because they know it's probably not a lifetime gig. Well, exactly. They know that as soon as they're not needed, they're out of there. Yeah. And they also know that if something better comes up, they're out of there. Yeah. They have no reason to be loyal to the corporation anymore, just as samurai might not have a reason to be loyal to their daimyo, mm -hmm. depending on the situation. Well, except for honor, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, which is... Yeah, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> well, if you study your Japanese history, you know that that honor thing was actually fairly late to the game, and uh, warring states and Goku Jidai samurai were not really all that honorable. Well, they're like anybody else, if... If it's like my life versus yours, guess which one I'm going to pick? Ooh, ooh, mine, <laughs> mine. Uh, wait, uh, 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 maybe, I don't know. You're an all right guy. <laughs> okay, great. See that? Okay, well, you're a true friend. <laughs> okay. In any case, yes. So leading back to where we started, um, do you think that uh, the view of the future as portrayed in science fiction has been harmful overall? Or is it equal parts harmful and helpful? You know, I think you got to kind of, you got to kind of think of, of, of which, which kind you're looking at. Okay. That's true. I mean, it, in theory, something like Star Trek could be considered actually very beneficial. I mean, think about how many gadgets from Star Trek we actually have literally in our everyday life now that were shown in the original Star Trek series. Right. And some of the ideals of that show have definitely rubbed off on the American public's consciousness. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that part about, you know, making sure that everyone is taken care of, not so much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's that. And then there's the idea... Um... Of mm -hmm. of like like we discussed before too the um what what you produce what works get done in any kind of art form right. are influenced by the time mm -hmm. and I think influence the time. It's a reciprocal relationship. Yeah. So if you look at like Star Trek's a great example because if you look at the original, mm -hmm. it was very optimistic and hopeful and and what won the day was was humanity. Mm -hmm. It was compassion that would win. It would be um, thinking ahead that would win. It would be inclusiveness that would win. Exactly. We're all working together as a team. That's right. And if you look at like mm -hmm. the newer ones, it's about blowing up the bad guy. I imagine that the new Star Trek series they're working on right now will be heavily about blowing up the bad guy. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, it's it's that reciprocity because that's where we are in society now. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't have the, a lot of what you're hearing from, say, politics and, and world events and that isn't about peace and teamwork. It's about those guys are the villain. They are the problem. Well, because it's much easier to control a population that way. Well, that's exactly right. And then that works its way into the entertainment. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Okay, then. So let's do the flip side. Um Let's look at a darker version of the future, the cyberpunk version of the future. So cyberpunk, as it was originally written, was definitely intended to be a warning. 
You know, the original novels by William Gibson, Bruce Sterling, Walter John Williams, and the other cyberpunk authors, and of course Mike Pondsmith with the cyberpunk role-playing game, were presenting a dark future that was not supposed to be one that people wanted. Yet, for some reason, that seems to be one of the futures we're heading towards. Were they just prophetic? Or have we accidentally followed some of the lines of thought that they've contributed to popular culture? <laughs> That's a... Uh... I, again, I think you're, you get a little of both. Okay. Because we had talked before about how the uh, Artel Surian cyberpunk game was incredibly prophetic. Yes, it was. It's like looking at the timeline of the future. Yeah, and, and, and I think it's because they, were, they did a good job of extrapolating. Mm. And when, yeah, I think they did. And when you go earlier, I think, um, like when you get to like Gibson or Greg Bear or any of those guys... Mm -hmm. I think it was it was more of a warning, but people got the wrong idea. They thought the you know net running thing was absolutely awesome and cool, and they wanted to be able to go into virtual worlds and have sex. Well, yeah, essentially. <laughs> Does it always come down to that? <laughs> human nature, man. Human nature. <laughs> well, and it's that, and then that was where like the internet comes from. The idea of of like the net that Gibson and those guys wrote about and everybody pictured pretty much. Yeah. And everybody pictured themselves as the super hardcore net hacker guy without mm -hmm. thinking through the ramifications of what would a system like that lead to. I should take a moment to point out to our audience who may or may not be aware that the original cyberpunk classics like Neuromancer and um, Hardwired and a Johnny Mnemonic were all written before the internet, or correction, before the World Wide Web was created. Most of them were written in the mid to late 80s, and the World Wide Web wouldn't come around until 1993. So they were literally coming up with a vision of the future and an internet of the future that they thought might exist, but there was no actual net at that point, not as our audience understands it. Mm -hmm. And so they in some ways may have accidentally provided a blueprint or maybe they were just extrapolating what was already there in the time of the uh, geekosphere, I guess. Either way, the internet that we use today isn't exactly like the one that they were thinking of, but it definitely does have some similarities to it. We don't exactly go immersing our consciousness into the internet so we can fly through it like we're like... Basically, we don't turn ourselves into Tron and fly into the internet, which is kind of what they were doing in a way. Sorry to interrupt. I mean, I didn't... Uh... <laughs> oh, no, that's okay, because that's, uh, that's uh, very important information. Yeah, exactly. Well, I just wanted to mention that because, remember, some of our audience probably wasn't born before 1990. And to them, the idea that this stuff was written pre-internet might be a little bit surprising. Yeah, I keep forgetting that we're old. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Very, very old. Anyway, um, okay, pity party aside. <laughs> so, um, okay, so they helped in some ways to uh, steer the future of the internet. Yeah. and um, Or at least some of the ways I think things turned out. Well, there is, and, and some of the ideas they had, again, I think people might have gotten a little sideways. Because um, mm -hmm. if you look at, say, um, the Artalsurian game, which I think is probably the definitive cyberpunk anything pretty much yeah uh the net runners and the player characters were the heroes they were the guys that were fighting the oppressor and they were the guys that were striking out against like the evil corporations and evil governments and and blah 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 
Right. And the analog that we have in real life nowadays would be like Anonymous or ISIS mm -hmm. or groups who the average person would consider like at the very best questionable. Yes, exactly. And and that's exactly the way it's turned out. Yeah, and, and, and I don't think people like back in the 90s were like, this would be awesome. We're realizing that, well, there's another side to that issue that you haven't considered. Yes, definitely. But then again, I would imagine most of the members of Anonymous are also not uh, rocker boys and rocker girls. It's not like Miley Cyrus is twerking on stage and then going off stage to mastermind an anonymous hack on North Korea. That we know of. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> you always mention Miley Cyrus. You got like a problem with her? She's my perfect example of a media freak at the moment, I would say. Okay. In some ways to me, she's kind of what's wrong with the media. I mean, referring to the like uh, pop music rock media, I guess you could say. Okay. Um, she bugs me because she's trying too damn hard. Like, she's basically following the same path Madonna did, right. except she's, like, trying to push it as far as she possibly can. And so this leads to her basically posting pornographic pictures of herself from her, like, social media accounts on a regular basis. Which, to me, is going a little bit far to keep in the public eye. I don't know about you. Okay, but isn't that what normally happens? This is true. I mean, she's <laughs> not actually showing her naughty bits. She's just going as close as she possibly can, but... I think that there's moderation, but she seems to be like fanatically determined to maintain it as best as she possibly can, right. which ultimately I don't think will work out in her favor because eventually, as I think is already happening, people just get, oh, it's Miley, and they just tune out. Right. We're getting into a desensitization situation anyway. That's my take on it. Also, I think that her music just really isn't that good. <laughs> well, she's no Rob Halford, that's for sure. Absolutely, she's not. <laughs> And even um, she's not even a Taylor Swift, Ooh. which is a really low blow. Ouch! That's, um, that's a burn. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, well, or Justin Bieber. Oh well, I don't know. That's well, okay, maybe. <laughs> now you're pushing, but again, I think that ties in with the cyberpunk idea. Oh, how so? Because you mentioned the the rocker boys. Mm -hmm. One of the things about um, most cyberpunk literature and and games and movies and shows mm -hmm. was that the big media explosion because that would be the quote-unquote information age yes would lead to these weird instant celebrities which it exactly did yep yeah that's true yeah the suddenly being able to get your stuff out there with or without a corporate logo or sorry corporate label backing you suddenly um leads to yeah instant celebrities all over the place or the rise of the youtube celebrity basically yeah i could see that and that's because I was discussing that with somebody at work that they'd mentioned mm -hmm. their kid watches like all these stupid people playing video game things. Right, yeah. And you think of somebody like PewDiePie who's like a huge celebrity by any standard. Oh, yeah. And came out of nowhere and at one point will just vanish. And I said, just like Fred. And everybody went work, who? Mm -hmm. Because that was another one of these that it comes out of nowhere. It's huge, right. then it disappears. At, Who is Fred? See, everybody says that. Remember he had like a high-pitched voice? Okay. We just run around being spaz. Had like a TV show for I think like three weeks or something. Yeah, I might have been overseas or something when that happened. <laughs> it was, so I might have missed that. It was like a year ago. <laughs> 
oh, okay, I wasn't overseas, I just wasn't paying attention. But I think, again, this is kind of demonstrating that, that whole instant celebrity thing. Well, easy come, easy go, right? Yeah, and, and we've had that before, but it mm-hmm. seems to be more prevalent and the cycle is a lot faster. Very, very fast. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the longer you can maintain the cycle, the more impressive you are. So maybe I shouldn't be looking down on Miley Cyrus, but the thing is, to me, showing you know your tatas to keep it, the audience's attention is kind of a cheat. But I guess maybe that's just my take on things. Well, yeah, and it's 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 kind of true, but I think again, going back to the Artalsurian thing, remember there were rockers mm-hmm. and rocker boys, right? That's true. And a rocker boy was somebody who was all about the music. Right. And a, a true musician, man. Yeah, and, and and a rocker was was like a prefab corp product that it was the total picture. It would be like the image, the lifestyle, the merchandise, and then they disappear. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, because once their life cycle was done, they were moved along, so the next one could be put in their place. Yeah, Japan's been doing that forever. Japan, China, Korea, Taiwan. Cool. The Asian markets tend to do it more than the Western markets do, but boy, do they do it yeah. in incredible precision. <laughs> they they do it with incredible Japanese precision. <laughs> yeah. My personal favorite is AKB48. Oh. Are you familiar with them? Oh, is that that weird uh, girl pseudo-punk thing? Yeah, AKB48. No, I think you might be thinking of... Oh, what are they called? Baby metal. Oh, God. They're like boy bands here. They're just so yeah, baby. Yeah, no. AK, AKB48 is... AKB stands for Akihabara, which is a, dis, a popular trendy district in uh, Tokyo. And the 48 refers to how many members of the band there are. Oh, yikes. <laughs> and so what happens is you never see all of them at any given time, except at like some major special event. What they think of it as a mega girl band that basically they break them off into little groups of like six or eight or something like that. And so they can send them all over Japan to perform and do all this stuff and do autograph signings, etc. And the other nice thing is because there's so damn many of them, you always, presumably the fans always like more than one of them. So you can just cycle them in and out as needed. If one gets pregnant or one gets in trouble, bang, she's gone. The, you know, some other girls on the list get replaces her. Mm. And a couple of them can sing. Probably many of them can't. And so, you know, it, you just cycle through them as needed. They're the ultimate perfect corporate group. I was going to say, oh my God, it's invincible. Somebody cl- Pretty much. Somebody cleanse it with flame. Oh, yeah, it pretty much is. Wow. And it will never end. That's one of the scary, scary things about it. In theory, it never has to end because it's even worse than some, like, regular boy or girl band that they cycle members in and out of. AKB48 is, like, it's literally like a Hydra. Right. (laughs) Kill one and more take its place. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Mind you, the Japanese have been doing this for a very long time. Yeah. AKB48 is not the first of their kind. There was Morning Musume, yeah. which were a similar group, but I think Morning Musume only had maybe about a dozen members. <laughs> oh, yikes. And they would cycle through their membership as needed, and AKB48 kind of like took it to the next level. So they could be in multiple places at the same time under the same label. Yikes. <laughs> so, yeah, speaking of reality becoming more like cyberpunk. That is, well, until they can replace them all with uh, computer simulations. That would be Hatsune Miku. Uh. <laughs> you know what Hatsune Miku is, right? That's uh, my girlfriend got a virus. 
is that what <laughs> you never heard that song no but that sounds about right that's that's pretty much it she's a vocaloid yeah where she's yeah that virtual idol you basically give her music and lyrics and she just sings them wow like miley cyrus pretty much yeah <laughs> Actually, there was an interesting article not too long ago. Wow, we're getting way off track, but I just want to go into this for a sec. How the majority of American pop music is actually written by two guys. Yeah. Yeah, it has been for I'm a long trying time. To... Yeah, there's these two guys who basically are kind of quasi-freelancers that basically end up being quote-unquote consultants or the actual songwriters for a lot of American pop music. And pretty much every performer works with them in the United States. Mm -hmm. And they just travel around helping them, you know, quote unquote, fine tune their music. <laughs> and in some cases actually write stuff for them. Right. Even though they're released under like singer songwriter labels or group labels or whatever, it's mostly these two guys that are responsible for them. Which is kind of scary if you think about it. Well, yeah. That truly means that all these beautiful young faces really are just puppets and they might as well be replaced by CGI dolls. That was... um. Uh, another one of my, my favorite cyberpunk, even though people don't necessarily consider it such, uh, series was American Flag. Okay. And that was the main character, Ruben Flag. He was like an action hero slash porn star, because there was no difference in that setting. Who had to mm -hmm. be, He had to become a cop because he lost his job because they replaced him with a hologram. Wow. So. I could definitely see that happening in real life. Just wait a couple years. Yep. And then you have to hear the song, My Girlfriend Has a Virus. Okay, I will track it down and I'll put it in the show notes. Okay, because it, it's about a uh, idol singer that the uh, program gets corrupted and it ends up taking over the world and subjugating the human race. Awesome. Yes. Obviously, this wasn't done by fans of Hatsune Miku. No, it was the uh, Rift Tracks guys. Oh, okay. So. Yeah, that's about right. And it was the plot of Macross Plus, oddly enough, but, you know. Oddly enough, yeah. <laughs> well, that's a great way to have a cute idol singer girl who also happens to be the villain and or antagonist of a story, I guess. <laughs> oh my god, you have to hear the song. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, I will definitely check it out. So obviously the cyberpunk ethos has definitely invaded music. Yeah. Would you say that it's invading other aspects of, uh, say, public life or entertainment? Oh, definitely, too, because uh, the... Uh... The the one thing that, that I find kind of creepy is mm -hmm. uh, data mining. Why do you find it creepy? Well, because it's, again, I think things, and, and you can agree or disagree. Um, Speak slowly. I'm taking notes. Okay. <laughs> but it, I'm mining you for data. Uh-oh. Dun-dun. Rob is a vocaloid. Dun, dun, dun. So, no, I am not. <laughs> Why do you ask? I am perfectly human. Ha-ha. I am perfect. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> too creepy all right continue <laughs> oh but it's it's the idea where i think things are are, are always reciprocal mm -hmm. and now that you've got like targeted marketing and, and such they'll put together a profile of of you right and i've read that they're they're creepy accurate they can get like 80 percent accurate with with what you would like and what you would want right but as they do that and you're bombarded with things like targeted ads Mm -hmm. You're not exposed to as many different things. And because entertainment is so much of our lives, mm -hmm. narrowing that, I think, is bad because it narrows our experience and the ideas we're exposed to. 
Absolutely. No, I agree with you. I mean, social media is a giant collection of that right now. Mm -hmm. Social media is basically a giant echo chamber where by design, actually by corporate design, for example, Facebook, we know that for we know that Facebook, for example, is moderating your news feed so that you're seeing more stuff you like and they're actually tuning stuff out they don't think you'll like. Mm -hmm. And the more you use Facebook and the more you like things, the more that becomes stuff you'll see from your friends and the more things that Facebook thinks you won't want to see will disappear. So you won't actually see them anymore, including people. Yeah. If there are people you don't agree with on a regular basis, Facebook will happily tune them out. <laughs> the problem is that includes dissenting opinions from your own. Yep. And you might think that that's fine. It makes Facebook a safe, happy space. But, of course, the problem with that is that if you're only getting ideas that are the same as what you already think, it's just going to reinforce your own ideas and make them stronger and more calcified and basically turn you more into a almost fanatic about those ideas. Yeah. And, and not just that, but you lose the ability to deal with a dissenting opinion. Exactly. And I think... We hmm? Which is why universities these days have safe spaces where you don't have to deal with any dissenting opinions at all. Yeah, or if you follow politics at all, when you see people on different sides of an issue, mm -hmm. you'll know if you pay attention, they're not interacting. They talk past each other because they're just mouth-farting dogma at each other. Mm -hmm. To but, their intended audience, who are only yeah. listening to them and not listening to the other guy. Yeah, and, and we're losing that ability to take in something that we don't already agree with. Mm-hmm. Well, that's going to be a bit of a problem because we can't always be right. No. Unless we're married, but that's a different story. <laughs> no, then you're always wrong. If you're the guy. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> we're going to get letters on that. <laughs> Probably. Mostly letters of sympathy going, yeah, man, yeah, I understand. I'm married too. Dear internet, I'm not with him. I've never <laughs> met him before in my life. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, anyway. Okay. <laughs> Because I would make the suggestion to everybody out there that you do what I do. Mm -hmm. and What's that? Every now and then when do a, a search for something pointless. I thought most of your searches were pointless, Don. Yeah, but not personally pointless. Like, oh, okay. Go on and do a search for um, different types of, of, of palm tree. Search for automotive paint. Mm-hmm. Um, some, something that has no, no bearing on your life at all just to screw up the algorithms. I think that's an excellent idea. And in fact, I definitely suggest people do things like that. I myself, of course, on Facebook, I will regularly like posts that people make that I absolutely vehemently disagree with. <laughs> and I will engage in conversations with people I absolutely vehemently disagree with, mostly because it guarantees that they won't fade from my feed. Usually they're okay people. I just might not agree with them all the time. But... They will disappear unless I make an active choice to keep them in my feed. And I want those different opinions. I want to see what these other people who don't agree with me politically, socially, ethically, whatever, think. Otherwise, how am I going to get a balanced view of the world? And unfortunately, in a weird way, this whole social media and, of course, um, advertising, data mining, focus group thing that's going on that's basically turning us all into little bubble children is not helping society in any way, shape, or form. 
I would say, in fact, if anything, it's slowly turning us into an extremist society where you're either on one end of an issue or the other. There is no in-between. And so as an end result, it's making us more, to go back to a word I used earlier, fanatical. And I don't mean that in the good way of, you know, you buy all the t-shirts from your favorite heavy metal band. I mean, as in the ISIS kind of fanatical. Well, and and again, I think it's true. And that was, um, if you look going to any and this is one of the things i think the cyberpunk guys got right but everybody misinterpreted Mm -hmm. if you look at any kind of cyberpunk setting you always have that right you'll have like the uh the poser gangs Mm -hmm. that because they thought you know like van buren was the best president ever they have themselves cosmetically altered to look like them and talk like them and blah 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 which we don't actually have in real life, but you, they can be taken as a metaphor for mentally turning yourself into that kind of thing. Yeah, and, and it's 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 that idea, like I was saying, about instilling corporate mentality in people. It's, it's all part of that same thing, the divide and conquer idea. Mm-hmm. And I think that for the past decade or so, we've really been seeing that. I think it was there before, but I think it's just more blatant now. Yeah, because they've they've got the uh, the technology and they've got the skill to keep mm-hmm. us all in a little box, metaphorically more than literally. But yes, yeah, and it and you see it on all levels. Like a good example would be people who are Marvel fans think DC sucks, and people who like DC think Marvel sucks. Exactly, and oh, us versus them. Yeah, the oldest game in the book. Yep, yeah, and holy crap! If you go anywhere online and you you look at that. The, the nerd rage phenomenon is alive and well, and it's part of that mentality because everything gets filtered through whatever your preferred everything is, and you never have to deal with another opinion. And yeah, you just get this idea that, nope, this is the right way, and you guys are all wrong. I think it's not done for any nefarious purposes, though, not exactly nefarious. I think it just makes you much easier to market to. Yeah. So if I make you into a Marvel fanboy or girl... I am basically creating a consumer that will buy Marvel products and that I can more easily market Marvel stuff towards. Mm -hmm. The side effect of that, though, is that I'm making you part of what becomes Team Marvel, but then anyone who's not part of that team and, for example, is part of Team DC inadvertently becomes your enemy in the process. Yeah, and... And you, by human us versus them mentality. And you end up with this weird siege mentality applying to everything. Yeah, pretty much. And the yeah, it's it's obvious if you follow politics or if you follow entertainment. Mhm. I can see that. Well, you want to turn everything into a horse race, right? That's another again broadcast most mass media trick. Yep. You turn everything into a horse race whether it is or not. Yep. And cuz that's the easiest way to market it and sell it and make it interesting to your audience who might not normally care. Yeah, and that was an episode of Max Headroom back in the eighties. Wow, Max Headroom. Yeah, that was the 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 when Blank Reg was on trial. Since when has the news been a game show? Since always. Yeah, that's basically. I thought it was since when has the news been entertainment? Because he's talking to Murray, yeah. right? He's talking to Edison Carter's boss, and he says something to the effect of, "Since when has the news been entertainment?" And the answer becomes, since always. Yeah, because it was the trial that they turned into a game show. Yes, the trial was turned into a game show. There we go. Yeah. 
It's been a while, but I do remember <laughs> a few little bits like that, because Max Hedrum was an awesome series. And anyone who has not watched Max Hedrum, I highly recommend it. It's probably all on YouTube, yeah. and uh, it's worth your time. It will seem old and weird and outdated, but again, remember, it was made pre-internet, so their ideas of what the internet is are a little bit weird. <laughs> but it's got Max Hedrum. Yeah. Well, not just, which makes it entertaining by default. Not just that, but I think a lot of it wouldn't seem weird to people that'd be, yeah, so? <laughs> well, we haven't gotten blipverts yet. Yeah, we, although they have been, actually, correction, we have. Yeah. They have done them. They've had them in a, for a while. Yeah, we actually, you're right. We have had them for a while. Because they discovered a weird thing that if people are PVRing, because you can get PVRs that will skip commercials. Right. Okay? But they discovered that the PVRs that skip commercials they actually will start playing again about, I think it's like five or 10 seconds before the actual next part of the show starts. Mm -hmm. So they started creating these five and 10 second hyper commercials <laughs> to fit in the very end in that space. And they're so fast that you'll actually miss them otherwise. Right. But if you were to actually watch them on PVR, you'll catch them. Okay. That was, the, I think that was the idea anyway. So you'll occasionally see them if you pay careful attention. These, these tiny little micro commercials that are there at the end where they almost just flash the ad at you and then they go to the show. <laughs> and that's what that is. See, when they did that on the show, it wasn't a suggestion. It made, it was awesome. It made people's heads explode, <laughs> which I'm okay well, with, but. Well, yeah, exactly. They don't quite do that yet. No. But. <laughs> Again, yet. Yeah. Um, I'm sure we'll eventually come up with some media technology that, if used wrong, will cause people's heads to explode. <laughs> oh, here's hoping. I mean, think about this. At that time, other than maybe, I guess, if you just sat and watched your TV to death, you generally couldn't be killed by media. Mm -hmm. But now we have people who play video games until they die because they're so addicted to the damn things. Well, yeah, those cases are still pretty isolated, though. Mostly. Um, like the... They do have more of them in Asia than we do in what here. Also, though, well, I guess it depends on whether you're talking about literally like playing them nonstop until you keel over or whether you're playing them and putting massive amounts of high sugar, high fructose corn syrup, high salt content and high caffeine into your body right. and literally killing yourself by destroying your organs. Right. Which that's something people are also doing over here on a very regular basis. Yeah, but we're doing it over here because you have to work three jobs just to get by. <laughs> well, a lot of the people doing this that I'm talking about, of course, are college and high school students. Yes. Yeah. And occasional people that are on welfare or other forms of social assistance or perhaps work part-time jobs to pay for their World of Warcraft or, sorry, League of Legends account. Uh -huh. <laughs> World of Warcraft, that is so last century. Oh, it is. It is, for, as far as people are concerned. Yeah. It's totally last century. Now it's all League of Legends. Yeah. So, and eSports, as they're called. Yeah. And that's it. one of the other weird things is they've made playing video games into actual sports. And they're treated as sports. And they will actually fill arenas with people who want to watch people play video games on giant screens. Just like The Wizard. Yeah, but they don't have that power glove. It's so bad. And that's bad. the thing. It's so bad, it's awesome. <laughs> that's a terrible movie. I've never seen it. I've managed to avoid The Wizard so far. There's a Rift Tracks version. I recommend it. That would probably be the best way to watch it. Yeah. 
I can definitely see that. Yeah, yeah. yeah but but even then, when you when you mention all of that kind, of, it's it's kind of creepy to look at that kind of thing and mm-hmm. how that came true. A lot of it did, yeah. Yeah, and that's that's kind of like all this stuff we're talking about. That was a really dumb idea. That apparently, at some time in the last twenty years, a lot of people looked at it and said, "Yep, that's what I want." I think some of it's inadvertent. Well, I think a lot of it's inadvertent, right? Where I think that remember there was back in the nineteen eighties, they did have video game competitions, even international ones, except that they couldn't really put them on giant screens like they tried in the wizard but it it just really didn't catch on right and i think that some of that was because the video games back at the time were just too simple and they couldn't hold an audience's attention for long enough remember they were super repetitive right yeah whereas presumably the ones now yes there's some repetition but they have just enough freedom to kind of qualify as an interesting spectacle or event that people could watch yeah maybe and hell at this point i've been told because i'm not someone who watches them but i've been told that the commercial to actual play on like football and such is so out of whack at this point that um you might as well be watching video games it really wouldn't make much of a difference (laughs) and also remember football and everything are so enhanced at this point as well yeah because they are adding all these like extra lines and things to help you follow <laughs> and all these extra visual notes and everything. You might as well be watching an electronic football game. How would it make any difference? Yeah, to except for hockey. They tried that and it didn't go over so good. Well, what they did is they probably ended up doing it but making it a little more subtle. Mm-hmm. They tried to do it in a really blatant way. People got pissed off. And I bet they still do it. They just probably make it a little more subtle. They'll do things like, for example, the lines on the ice rink. Mm-hmm. The lines that you see now will be very clear, but the truth is they're actually, quote-unquote, enhancing them Ah. by putting a semi-transparent line over the real line just to make it that little bit sharper. Right. Things like that. Okay. So they are doing it. They're not putting a giant glowy sphere around the puck, for example, anymore. Or maybe they are. I don't watch hockey, but I'm (laughs) guessing they don't. Like Fox tried to do back in, like, the 90s, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, that didn't. 90s, early 2000s, yeah. That didn't go over. Okay, well, let's move on then. Uh, We've mentioned American-style cyberpunk. Let's move to the British stuff. Okay. So how much of Judge Dredd do you think has actually come true or started to look prophetic at this point? (laughs) The one thing that they they used to do in Dredd, especially the older ones, Mm -hmm. was that most of the stories were that some goofy trend would get out of hand. Right. And I think we're sort of... uh, We've always had that, because you can go back to, like, oh, yeah. goldfish swallowing and telephone booth stuffing, which mm-hmm. half the people listening are now going, telephone what? <laughs> there is that. It's, it's, yep. it's like the thing Doctor Who flies around in, but there was a phone in it. Ooh. Yeah. And you, we've always had that, but I think you're starting, again, to see the cycle. It's speeding up, and it, it's getting more public. Right, well... It's the internet, and especially YouTube. Yeah, and, and and that's where I think one of the things that Dredd got right was this idea of, like, stupid things getting horribly out of hand. Right. Uh, you, you can see Russia is good for that. Really? How so? Well, not just the dashboard cameras, because, you know, they're already, yeah. they're already living in Judge Dredd over there on the roads. Pretty much, yeah. Um, but they, they had, there was, um, 
I forget the name of it, but it was this trend for a while. It translated to like shocking picture. Mm-hmm. And it would be people that would stage these like over the top little, almost like street performance things and then film it and put it up. Okay. And everybody was trying to get more outrageous. So there was one of the ones that I had seen was two guys that get into a fight and it leads to like a, a like a Schwarzenegger movie-esque running gun battle down the street. Okay. And these things are all staged and they're they're filmed, but it's supposed to look like something that really happened that just went to horrendous extremes. Right, yeah. Huh, I think I vaguely know what you're talking about, but I don't think I've ever actually seen one that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. But okay, that sounds right. I was thinking more things like the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge that happened like last year. Yeah, that's a good example too. Um, where people will put up these challenges on the internet, especially on YouTube, and suddenly everyone's doing them, even if they're getting themselves hurt or killed or mauled. Mm-hmm. And that's absolutely the kind of thing that was happening in the old Judge Dredd comics. There's no question on that. Yeah. So, okay, so Judge Dredd got that part right, that as society became more urbanized and people became more bored, yeah, they would start to do more and more ridiculous things to keep themselves entertained and to... Um, stand out yeah and to get their 15 seconds of fame yeah and i think he he hit the big thing it's it's that stand out idea well because as there's more and more people each of us theoretically individually matters less and less to society as a whole yep and i i think that's one of the things with say modern technology and again the the cyberpunk-esque idea of the instant star is that mm-hmm. we've had this idea like put out there and put in our heads of being famous. Right. And we're given all of the opportunity to be famous. Because anybody, like, if you got a microphone and internet connection, you can do a damn podcast. Anybody can do that. Exactly. Yeah. Any loser can do a podcast. I know, geez. But... And, Wait. <laughs> dun, dun. Uh-oh. And, and, and in a way, it becomes like the social lottery. Right, pretty much, yeah. And it works out for the people in charge, because if you're like an entertainment corp, you can just basically eeny, meeny, miny, moe the next idol. Like, that mm-hmm. that's what happened with Justin Bieber. Yeah, basically, yeah. I mean, he was just putting out YouTube cover songs, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. He was like a 14, 13-year-old kid, and then he got super popular, and a label picked him up, and... Off he went. I don't even think he was super popular when they picked him up. It was kind of just, eh, that guy. I he was somewhat popular. Yeah. He didn't quite come out of nowhere, but yeah, you're right. He was no Fred. He became exactly. He was no Fred. There we go. Is that going to become like a running joke or something? <laughs> That's going to be our running gag. He's no Fred. I, I, well, I have to be honest because to me it is because like for a little while you couldn't escape him, and now like nobody remember. It's like Ray J Johnson. Nobody remembers Ray J Johnson. Who's Ray J Johnson, Don? See, there we go. <laughs> but that's going back. That's going back to like the seventies. Okay, well, I don't feel too bad then because I was ridiculously young at that point, or at least so I claim. (laughs) Dun-dun. Okay, so it seems like then that cyberpunk stories have definitely influenced our culture, or at least they've gotten a lot of things right. Yeah. Unfortunately, I would imagine this also extends into uh, things like police. Mm -hmm. I don't remember, though, things like Uber, for example, being part of, like, cyberpunk. 
um, police states were pretty normal in most cyberpunk settings. Judge Dredd is an obvious example. If you have a out of control population, of course you're going to need like you know a strong authoritarian police force to keep them under control. Right. But when I think about technologies like Uber, for example, do you think that? Um, hmm. Yeah, I think that's one of those areas where they really didn't see that coming. That's yeah, I would disagree on that. Okay, prove it. What? Aha, here we go. Click, click. If you see any cyberpunk movie or TV show or anything, mm-hmm. you always have, like, one. the way that they would show it back in the day is you'd have always have the bazaar. Right. That you'd have the, the, like, the open market where people are, like, selling everything and everybody's, like, looking for their angle. And if, if you get, like, the street right. fixer guy, he's always, like, making connections and looking for the big shipment and that. Yep, yep. And I think that's when you look at something like, say, Uber, Airbnb, and that uh, mm-hmm. they, they call that like the micro economy. Yep, it's that. But when they when they designed it in the old days, they were thinking like going back to like say the '30s, the open air markets and such. Mm-hmm. And they didn't take the technology into account. So it's it's that same idea, except it's just happening on the internet. Yeah. And, and it's this, it's like a, like an underclass of, of labor. Right. That's all that always on call. Um, they, the, the, the thing that I think of with something like say Uber, uh, mm-hmm. not to just demonize them. I'd like to demonize all of the companies doing the microeconomy thing. Right. Exactly. Don't let, don't leave any of them out. Yeah. Don't let them feel left out. <laughs> but it's that idea that, okay, I'm using my own vehicle. I'm paying mm-hmm. my own maintenance. I'm paying my own fuel. Right. Uh, they're basically just a, a bulletin board that's going to direct people to my vehicle for a sizable cut. Right. And then they undercut the regular cab company, so people start calling them more often. Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening is you're not working for them because you know it was always your goal to to, to be an Uber driver and have your own business. Because mm-hmm. it's not technically your own business. You're you're paying kickbacks to, to the company. Of course. And they're getting their service done. They don't have, they technically, you're not an employee, you're a contractor. So they don't have any of that infrastructure expense. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have no hardware expense. It's pure profit for them. Right. By keeping the, the price low, mm-hmm. it keeps them popular. By contracting out an unlimited number of drivers, it keeps competition going, which is good for them. It's bad for everybody partaking Mm -hmm. because you have no stability. Right. Um, You're, 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 you're not making that much. Uh, The example I use, it goes back to the stupid hotel ads that if this is your main source of income, you can never have a day off. Yes, that's true. Because you never know how well you might do really good today. Tomorrow you might get nothing, but you can't mm-hmm. you can't really afford like if something's going on. There's a big something downtown. Well, you have to be on duty because this could be a day you make a big score. Right. So it's basically a treadmill. Yeah, you have to keep you have to constantly keep working at it, keep trying, keep doing. Otherwise, you're done. Yeah, and it perpetuates because as that gets more popular. That'll pick up, say, the regular cab companies that are run like an actual business and have mm-hmm. a measure of accountability. Mm-hmm. They'll go into decline. Uh, a lot of those yep. people have to move, say, to be like an Uber contractor. And it it works out great for the guy on top, really shitty for everybody else. That was one of the things in most cyberpunk literature about the ascension of the corporation was that was how it worked out. 
because that's the way corporations are set up. I mean, they're profit engines. They exist to draw as much profit out of society and out of whatever as they can. Yep. And so by default, anything that um, costs them money, any cost that can be avoided, they must avoid. It's efficiency. And then that was what, um, it's one of the subtexts to a lot of cyberpunk settings that, Mm -hmm. that never got stated and that I think, again, a lot of like fans never really thought of Mm -hmm. is the social controls that work for the masses and work for, for the workers and that against that sort of thing Mm -hmm. typically came from the government end, Mm -hmm. especially say in North America, where you have a representative democracy in theory, the government does the will of the people in theory. Yep. And yeah. And, and we're, we're talking ideals here. Right, of course. And they would provide the checks and the balances for the well-being of the people. Right. And when you have in cyberpunk the ascension of the corporations, it's at the deterioration of the governments. Mm-hmm. And then they privatize running the government, basically. And then the, the, the citizens are no longer citizens. They're essentially employees. Yeah, exactly. Well... Faceless cogs, but six of one, one way or the other. Half dozen yeah. the other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, either works. Okay, so yes, that's definitely a problem, and that was definitely part of cyberpunk literature. And I think, to some degree, maybe purposely, maybe accidentally, I think the mass media has been working very hard to demonize the government. Yeah, because mostly for ratings i think they mostly do it because they know that you know everyone is pissed off about paying taxes and so they don't like the government and so it's automatic news material and stories and it also they work into the political angle of you know we're say fox news so we're supporting the republican slash conservative side of things so we get an audience that's automatically going to follow us but at the same time, inadvertently, they're working very hard to undermine the very essence of American government and American culture and society. Yep. And if if you remember, too, like any cyberpunk setting, mm-hmm. uh, when the corporations take over, they, they typically, there would be like fudging of the truth or a lie or, or, or some such. Right. And you can see the beginnings of that with a lot of, a lot of like pro-corporate legislation that's going through mm-hmm. now. Um, ah, Trans-Pacific Partnership. Well, that's part of it. Part of it, too. Uh, the best example I can think of is mm-hmm. when you look at corporations, their biggest expense is workers. Right. Especially here in North America. Mm-hmm. So when you get companies and any of their, their, their say, allies in government, and they, they have a lot on, on all sides of the issue. Of course they do. Left if you have money, you have allies in government. Yeah, left, right, and in the middle, they do. And what you'll mm-hmm. get is this idea is that they want to lower expenses. Mm-hmm. But you can't come out and say, well, the problem is you assholes get paid too much because everybody will hate you. Right. And that's where this idea, I think, of, of you know taxes are bad comes in. Mm-hmm. Because that's the drum that a lot of politicians, a lot of companies beat. They'll say, oh, well, what's the problem is there's so much high corporate tax. When you look at it, they don't mm-hmm. they don't really pay that much. There's enough loopholes and offshore shelters and such. Oh yeah, they pay almost nothing. 
because that was I know that was the big thing a few years back here. It was uh, BASF paid a grand total in Canada of twenty thousand dollars in taxes. A multi-billion-dollar corporation. Yeah, and that was the same year I got a bonus from one of my jobs, and I ended up paying I think eight thousand in taxes that year. So yep. Oh yeah. I, and I'm not a multi-billion corporation. You're also not a rich person, or you would have paid far less than that. Well, that's right, and that's what ends up happening is you get this idea put out there that, well, no, it's taxes that are, are the problem. Mm-hmm. And then that becomes a rallying cry for politician because everybody hates taxes. Mm-hmm. And then that becomes the idea that everybody works on, even though that's not exactly what the problem is. So it's like, well, we have to lower taxes. And then when you lower taxes, that means less revenue for the government. When, when that happens, they can't implement mm-hmm. any of these policies that would protect the well-being of the citizens. It fall, starts falling apart. Companies will say, oh, we'll take over doing that for a nominal fee. And then that's how cyberpunk happens. Right. Wow. And those who call themselves libertarians are basically helping to foster this whole situation. Mm-hmm. Because they're corporate enablers, it's like, yeah, they're supporting the idea of dismantling the government, not realizing the government is the thing standing in the way of corporations from absolutely manipulating society however they so choose. And if you think that works out so well, why don't you go visit West Virginia sometime? (laughs) Do you know what the problem is in West Virginia, Don? You're going to have to narrow it down for me. (laughs) West Virginia is effectively owned by coal companies. Right. Okay, so they have rivers that, for example, run orange and blue and green and are filled with dead fish and that people are still using as their water supplies downstream. But nothing is done because they literally own the government. Right. What government there is in West Virginia, so I'm told, again, I haven't been there, but I've been reading a little bit about it, is for the most part owned by the coal and um, other mining companies. And the thing is, they're also the primary employers of the state. So, of course, any little grumbling means they threaten to pull out, even though their mines are there, but whatever. And so the corporations literally own the government in that place. And surprise, the people live like crap. Mm-hmm. You know, life in West Virginia is not exactly pleasant. And yeah, if a whole lot of people get poisoned, eh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> What's important is that the corporation is actually making a profit. Yep, and that's... The, the, that comes about because, like you said, corporations, they just exist to make profit. Uh, you, you can't fault them for that. Exactly. But when you have this break... No, I can't. What? And I can't fault a shark for doing what it does either. That's exactly Doesn't right. mean that I want to be swimming with it. <laughs> well, no. Or I want in my swimming pool. Yeah, and that's where you get the the problem is when the other parts of the system start breaking down, that's where you get these these unfortunate circumstances. So yes, I think that a corporate-controlled government or a government run by a corporation is not exactly in the best interest of the average people. Although I'm sure our libertarian listeners, <laughs> if they're still with us at this point, <laughs> will probably slightly disagree. Well, some of them might agree too because – it's there's there's a lot of uh obvious evidence things. yeah well there's uh, another good example uh mm-hmm. one of the things you see in the states is they've privatized the legal system right and a mutual acquaintance of ours just went back 
he was born in the States and he visited the old gang in a literal sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. And he was talking to one feller who just got out of, uh, just got out of prison. Mm -hmm. And I've read all kinds of reports that what happens is they've privatized prisons. Yes, I've heard about that. And the problem is when you've got a corporation running something, they have to make a profit. Mm -hmm. So what happens is when you go to court, they give you like a a legal defender that you're charged for. Mm -hmm. You have to pay court fees. When you're you're in prison, you have to pay for that. You have to pay for being sent to prison. Okay. And one of the ways they do it is because like say a lot of like phone centers and that will now be run out of prisons. Yep. Um this this guy a uh, friend of a friend of ours, he's got mm-hmm. he's got an ankle bracelet. Right. He's he's on house arrest now. He has to pay to rent that. He has to pay for his own ankle bracelet. Yep. And when he sees the parole officer, he has to pay for those meetings. If he can't make the payments, he goes back to prison where he still keeps raking up charges. Okay. Wow. I thought the days of debtors' prisons went out with Oliver Twist. Everything old is new again. It's steampunk now. <laughs> awesome. Sigh. Okay, <laughs> then. That's just... Wow. I, I kind of knew about some of that, but that's really twisted. Yep. The fact that he has to pay for his own parole officer appointments. Yep. And I presume that the prison, of course, as you said, is a is a call center prison or has a call center attached onto it where he has to work for a very modest fee each day to help pay for his own prison yeah, time. like that. And make the company that's running the prison a whole lot of money. Um, well, it... Because you have to actually literally work for your imprisonment. Yeah, it, it works the other way, too, because there was a TV show, I was flipping channels, mm-hmm. and it was like, prison guards and it was like the the new prison guards they were following them on their job and i'm watching the one episode and there's this like young guy and he's like and like i'm out on the floor today and it's just me so if something happens like i have to take care of it myself and i'm like who the hell would send this poor kid out in what could potentially be a death sentence i oh oh yeah we we got to keep the cost down because this is probably a private prison that's exactly right (laughs) so we can't afford those guards. I mean, they're an expense. So, yeah, yeah. as soon as the... Uh, I, I imagine it's one of those situations where the prisoners pretty much have to take care of themselves and the guards are basically all huddled in some kind of command center watching them through cameras <laughs> and just controlling things remotely, like the doors and such. Because that way you could have as few of them as possible. Yep. Again, it sounds like a dystopian science fiction story from my perspective, but the problem is that's reality and it has been for a while. Yep. And, of course, you have to fill those prisons. After all, if you don't have workers coming in, it's a public-private enterprise, after all. So you need those workers coming in to fill that prison to do those jobs. Otherwise, you have a problem. Good thing you have zero yep. tolerance laws. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, without those zero tolerance laws, you would have a really hard time filling that prison. Oh, jaywalking? Uh-oh, you're going to prison for three years. <laughs> So littering, guess what? You're going to prison. You're going to be working in that call center for 35 cents a day for the next two years of your life. (laughs) Or sorry, less, as you said, because you have to pay back your cost for being there in the prison as well. Yep. That's horrific. 
Wow. P- apparently, we really are living in cyberpunk. We yep. just forgot the cool cyber limbs, and we're not all a bunch of, like, rocker boys. Or solos. So far. Which, there's... And then this leads to kind of the final aspect of any cyberpunk setting. Mm-hmm. Oh? Is the violence. Which is really twisted because actually our society is becoming progressively less violent. It That's is. one area where cyberpunk got wrong. Our crime rates are dropping like a rock. Maybe because everyone's in factory prisons, but whatever. Or being sent <laughs> overseas to fight in Iraq. Yeah. Or wherever they're fighting this week. So do you think that's going to like be the trend that it goes down? or It's going to continue to go down for a while, but at some point it's got to turn up. I mean, that which goes down must come up. That's which goes up must come down. You know the old saying. Yeah. I think, yeah, that would be my take, is that at some point the poverty levels of society are going to get so bad that crime is going to start to rise up again. Right. I mean, right now, I think your average citizen of a Western nation is mostly surviving on credit cards and debt. But that game could only be played for so long. Yeah. At that point, the middle class truly disappears, and we end up with the ultimate cyberpunk situation of the rich, the rich elites, the one percenters, as some people call them, and everyone else. Yeah. And unfortunately, the one percenters are the ones with the corporate guards... The corporate cops, the robots, the cool power armor, <laughs> and whatever else will give them. Oh, and healthcare. Well, yeah, <laughs> and the other, <laughs> and maybe a giant space station where they can live with free healthcare. Right. Um, <laughs> in orbit, uh, regardless, They're, the one percenters are the ones who are going to have access to the good life, and they're held in line because, of course, if you want to maintain that good life, you have to. Toe the line, you have to play the game and keep working hard, otherwise you become one of the peasantry. Yeah. In other words, we've gone back to the Middle Ages. Yeah. Or farther. With more distractions. With more distractions. And at that point, I think the crime rate will go up, because the crime rate in the Middle Ages was horrific. Well, it depends how you defined it. It wasn't murder if she really was a witch. Oh, there is that. <laughs> there is that. The crime rate wasn't so high, say, in small villages and such, but in the old days, obviously, in uh, urban centers, it tended to be a little on the high side because – and I just learned this recently. Did you realize that up until about the 20th century, maybe late 18th century, cities generally had a negative growth rate? No. (laughs) I didn't know this either. This was apparently something that um, was mostly the result of sanitation. Right. But it had other factors as well. Cities were places where the majority of the people were dying. And they were just constantly being replaced by new suckers who were coming in from the countryside. Okay. Huh. Most cities, again, not all, but many cities, especially in Europe, had negative growth rates. Wow. Kind of like North America at the moment. Hmm. Or at least most Western countries who have negative population rates. Right. So that's why we need to constantly bring in immigrants. That trend was going on, except it used to be called a city. Okay. And if you think about it, you have all these people. You have them packed together. You have sewage in the streets. You have poor nutrition. You have poor everything else. Of course people are dying like crazy. Yeah, I knew they were dropping like flies back in the day, but I didn't know it was a negative uh, growth rate. Yeah, they generally had negative growth rates. But they were preserved by immigration because there was a constant inflow coming in from the countryside. 
Okay. This is also one of the reasons why if a city had a plague or something that took out a significant portion of the city, or if there's one in the country that took out a significant portion of the countryside, the cities were horribly hard hit because, again, yeah, their population naturally goes down. So if there's not that influx coming in or if people don't want to come in, suddenly, guess what? Huh. <laughs> that city will f- start to fall apart pretty quickly. So that's why you get abandoned cities. Think about that. Back in the old days, they would have abandoned cities. And that's why. And it wasn't always just because, you know, of disease. Although that was often the case. Right. Well, and, very, very often. And pollution. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, that comes part of it, I'd say. That was the thing. Everybody pictures, like, the Victorian, like, London fog-filled streets romantically. No, that shit used to kill at least, like, two dozen people a night. That was pollution. <laughs> Yes, it was. Yeah, you would get, you know, black lung disease. You know, the thing coal miners get, just living in the streets, living in the city would give you that kind of, like, disease because everyone was burning coal constantly. You were in giant coal clouds all the time. Yeah. Plus, the factories were in the middle of the city. Yep. Hmm. That sounds like a good cyberpunk environment. (laughs) Welcome to Windsor. (laughs) Ooh. (laughs) Or Sarnia. Well, yeah, or pretty much anywhere in southern Ontario, really. Well, that's true. But in any (laughs) case, so the truth is, is that um, for better or for worse, we seem to be heading for a cyberpunk-esque future in many different ways. Mm -hmm. And we haven't even talked about biotech. Yeah. China just announced the world's largest biotech factory is being opened up there in China. Wow. Um, When I say biotech factory, I mean a cloning factory. And their goal is to actually factory produce cloned animals mm-hmm. for food and other purposes right that could never go wrong no no i don't see any way that could possibly go wrong <laughs> but they but they have sworn and crossed their heart that they won't clone people of course not well i don't think china would because I, they already have lots of people Yeah, you've already got enough of an underclass in like the villages and that that if i need a hundred disposable laborers i'll just go get them this is true but it's not so much actually cloning people. It's the problem, of course. It's the genetically designing people. Yeah, which was a Max Hedrum and episode. Max Hedrum did that too? Yeah. I don't remember that one. It was the baby bagging episode. Oh, okay. It's been a while. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, eventually we're going to get in a situation where if you don't genetically upgrade your kids, well, everyone else is, so your kid will fall behind. Yeah. Well, not- So if you don't have the right mods, you won't even be able to do certain jobs after a while. Well, not even just that. There's, uh, I was reading an article that they pointed something interesting out. Uh, every mm-hmm. everybody's got like one of them Fitbit things now. Yes. What's to stop the insurance company from making those mandatory? And then, if you're not living a ad- adequately fit lifestyle, of raising your rates. Right now, the government. Mm-hmm. Of course. Right now. That. <laughs> yeah, for now. Actually, I love my Fitbit, but that's just me. <laughs> I actually do. I only got one like two weeks ago, but I do love it, actually. Well, and, and um, now see, that's it's, that goes directly with what we were saying. Mm-hmm. It's innocuous enough. It's 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 something that you find useful, but mm-hmm. it can have this terrible, terrible repercussion that nobody ever thought of. Oh, you're right. Oh, no. I mean, that's one of the things that, of course, Americans are terrified of about uh, universal public health care. Mm-hmm is that they're afraid that then the government will start mandating that they all have to live healthy lives and that they're not allowed to have certain foods or things like that because it's costing everyone money if they get sick. Mm -hmm. 
And that's been that idea. Although, to my knowledge, no Western nation, actually no nation with universal health care that I know of has ever actually done that. But okay. No. That's a that's perhaps a natural fear, though. Yeah, well, because again, like I say, I wouldn't be afraid of the government doing it so much as the insurance companies. Exactly, exactly. And you're right. Oh, no, I can totally see that. Actually, insurance companies have already started a version of that with your car. You don't drive, so you wouldn't know this. But you can actually get lower insurance rates if you put a monitor device on your car now. Oh, yeah, I've seen those advertised. Yeah, so you can, if you get a, if you have an excellent driver performance record or whatever, they will lower your insurance rates. That's the excuse they're using. Mm-hmm. But in truth, they're just monitoring your car yeah. and monitoring your speeds. And it can go the other way. If they notice that you're speeding or running red lights or whatever, that kind of thing, or driving in what they consider an improper manner, they will absolutely raise your rates. Yeah. And that information will probably end up being permanently on your record. <laughs> For other companies to use as well, possibly, yeah. if you switch to a new insurance company. So again, going back to your whole data mining thing that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Anyway, we <laughs> should probably call it a night. Okay. Um, so on that happy and um, yeah, I know we started on such a happy note and then we're finishing <laughs> on such a depressing note. So yeah, it sounds like we're pretty much heading towards a slightly dystopian future. But then again, who knows? Maybe things will go in a positive way. Um, maybe a meteor will come down and wipe us all out before it gets really bad and corporations really do take over. Now we had that chance on Halloween and it didn't happen. Damn it. <laughs> oh, well, I guess then we're done. Um, <laughs> don't worry, though. Eventually corporations, as they always do, will collapse mm-hmm. and we'll all end up fighting for fuel and water, road warrior style. I'm all set. I know you are. <laughs> I already got the spiked football pads. <laughs> you have been waiting for um, the Road Warrior your whole life. Just walk away. That sounds kind of like Wolverine, but okay, I can work with that. <laughs> I'm practicing. Okay, keep practicing, man. Keep practicing. <laughs> on that note, tune in next time, folks, for more happy and joyous discussions on some nerdly topic that will probably be a little more arts than politics like this one was. And if we offended any of you, oh well. (laughs) Suck it up. (laughs) Exactly. Deal with it. Learn to deal with dissenting opinions. Talk to you later, guys. Bye. Good luck. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at obeythedna.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember... That to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya!